2: you think he was so adamant upon loving one another? I think it was because they probably didn't. He he looked at these guys and he understood who they were. You had a couple of zealots that, man, they were ready to take off heads at a drop of a hat. You you had Judas, the the one that was, you know, again, the deceiver. Uh, He had been part of it. You got Simon Peter, you know, big mouth, brash, and bold Peter. You got a tax collector among you. Uh, Nobody likes uh, the guy from the IRS. And so he's, he's saying you need to love one another. And why was that so important? It was because of their love for one another that the world was going to see that they were truly his disciples. Jesus
0: knew and understood his disciples better than they even knew themselves. The same is true of us. We may fool our fellow believers and even our closest friends and family members, but we can't fool him. As Pastor David reminds us in today's message, he sees us at our weakest and knows the state of our heart. This should not cause fear or shame, but instead should bring us comfort and hope. He sees our weakness, yet he loves us and desires to draw us close to himself. And here's Pastor David with today's message entitled, Jesus Knows Our Every Weakness.
2: shared with you guys in the past that if you've sinned this last week, Jesus doesn't love you anymore. It's true. If you've sinned this past week, Jesus does not love you anymore, but he doesn't love you any less either because his love is a perfect love. Do you realize that you cannot out-sin the love of Jesus? Now, I'm not saying that for you to test that, I'm just saying that's just the reality of it. While we were yet sinners, He loved us. And how much more now that we're His? So, really, the question that I wanted to start this morning was Does God love us only when we are lovable? I've already shared with you, no, that's not true. He loves us more times than not in spite of ourselves. Amen? Amen. Good. I'm glad it's a bigger boat than I was afraid it was. <laughs> is is god's love conditional if you do this this and this then my love is yours listen we we know what conditional love is we we live in a physical world and many times the the loves that we share in this plane become conditional loves we can fall in and fall out of love we can pursue love and then have love cut off right from underneath our legs so the question is is what happens when we fail when we fail him, when we fail him completely, what happens with the love of Christ for us? We're in Luke's gospel uh, uh, record, and we are in chapter 22. I invite you, if you would, to turn there. We'll get there in a little bit. But as we are working our way to Luke 22— I wanna share with you that the night that we're gonna be speaking of here in Luke 22, we've been speaking of over the last couple of weeks. It's that night of sharing the Passover meal there in the upper room with the disciples, all of the disciples, including Judas Iscariot. All of them there together with Jesus, that last meal that they would have together prior to his arrest, trial, crucifixion, his burial, and his resurrection. This is the last time that they're going to be together in that kind of a relationship. And it had been a night of tremendous, tremendous tension. There was so much that was going on. Jesus even told his disciples earlier on, he said that his heart was very troubled, He knew that the time was at hand for his betrayal. He also knew that his time with the disciples was very, very limited. He knew that there in that room was Judas Iscariot and Judas was going to be the very one that was going to betray him. The interesting thing is he and only he knew all of these things. Remember, our disciples, they're clueless. They, They remain clueless all the way through until after the resurrection. The disciples, they were were excited about sharing the Passover meal, but they did not understand the events that were about to unfold in the coming hours and even days in front of them. Jesus had spent a great deal of the night there teaching the disciples, the apostles, teaching them both by word and deed. Remember, he clearly demonstrated their need for humility when he, the master, took off his outer robes and began washing their feet, and yeah, even the feet of Judas, knowing that he was the one that was gonna be trained. He knew Judas was gonna be trained, and yet Jesus washed his feet also. As he shared the Passover meal with them, he declared himself to be that lamb of sacrifice. Here, this is my body which is given for you. This cup is the blood of the new covenant spilled out for you. Through all of this, he's teaching, he's sharing by word, by action. He took the opportunity to divulge to the apostles that evening, one of you, one of you is going to betray me. Wow, that that just sent them all reeling trying to figure out which one would do that to Jesus. But you know that concern that they had for who was going to betray him that didn't last too long because pretty soon it moved to that, to who's the greatest. So... These guys, again, clueless. Through all of this, Jesus continually expressed his love to them, his deep concern for their welfare for those coming hours and days and weeks and actually months that were going to be, once he ascended to the Father, that they were going to be the ones that were there and, and all that was going to be taking place within their lives. And as we take all of the gospel records together, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we lay them alongside each other, reading through the events of that night from one gospel writer to the other. It's only when we put them all together that we really see the fullness of the story, the fullness of all the events that took place that night. It's through the eyes of all four evangelists that we realize that Jesus ministered in those last few hours of his freedom in such a powerful way. It wasn't just going up there and having a meal and a little prayer and going out. No, Jesus was pouring himself into these guys in such a dynamic and and depth that they hadn't seen before because Jesus knew it was only hours that he would have with these guys. He loved these men. He cared for them, even Judas. And he continued to pour his life into them. Now John's gospel record... It covers probably the greatest amount of the dialogue that took place that night. Though he doesn't zero in so much on the supper, he deals with a lot of the discussion or the, or the, 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 the teaching that Jesus gives to the disciples, as well as the prayers that he lifts up to God the Father for himself, for the disciples there in that room, and also he prayed for you and I, those that would believe after these things. That's his prayer for you and I. Now, you could read all through the chapters of John, John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, all of that, the dialogue and the prayers of Christ on that evening. And you'd get a much better understanding of all that was taking place, all that was covered during that last time together with the disciples. Now, we're not going to cover all of those five chapters or all that's in those five chapters, but I do want us, before we get to Luke 22... I want us to look at some of the passages within John's gospel record to help us to get our brains and our minds and our understanding uh, pretty much uh, uh, consumed and, and, and completely in all that was going on that evening. It was much more, as I shared, much, much more than just the supper together. Jesus' words His pouring into these men was just powerful. So again, if you've got your Bibles there, and I hope that you've got your Bibles, that's what we do here. We do through the Bible, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And that's what we want to pour into you because, beloved, that's where the power of God is, through his word and through his spirit. In John's Gospel record, beginning in chapter 13... And we're going to skip way down. Like I said, we don't have time to cover it all, but I do want to bring out some passages here. There's there's a multitude of other ones we could cover, but we're just going to cover a few. Down in chapter 13, go all the way down to verse 34. Verse 34, Jesus speaking to his disciples and also through his disciples to you and I at that point in time. In John 13, 34, Jesus says... A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I've loved you, that you also love one another. And by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's two verses there, and I didn't count them all, but to love one another, loved one another, love one another, at least three times he says, you need to love one another. Why do you think he was so adamant upon loving one another? I think it was because they probably didn't. He, he looked at these guys and he understood who they were. You had a couple of zealots that, man, they were ready to take off heads at a drop of a hat. You, you had Judas, the, the one that was, you know, again, the deceiver. Uh, he had been part of it. You got Simon Peter, you know, big mouth, brash, and bold Peter you've got a tax collector among you, uh, nobody likes uh, the guy from the IRS, and so he's he's saying you need to love one another. And why was that so important? It was because of their love for one another that the world was going to see that they were truly his disciples. We look around in our group this morning even, realize we come from a tremendous amount of variety of backgrounds and cultures and uh, ethnicities and uh, economics, and there, there's so much diversity within this. And it was, it's so easy for us to walk in and out these doors, come and find a place of comfort, receive the word of God, go back out these doors without really interacting with each other. But you know what, the fact is, is just as he told those disciples on that evening before his crucifixion, his word comes to you and I today. You need to love one another. Oh, but he's not so lovable. You know, do, you, do you see who he is? Do you see where she's come from, her attitudes, the way she acts and responds? She's not so, did you notice that Jesus didn't give any ifs, ands, or buts on that? said you need to love one another, period. That's it, end of conversation. Do, don't, 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 don't come with, with all of these other things and say, oh, I would love them, except. No, Jesus says, it's by your love for one another that they will know that you are my disciples. Look at chapter 14. Now you realize why we're not going through the whole thing. We'd never make it through it. Chapter 14, verse one. I love these words. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Do you realize the greatness of the hope and the promise that Jesus is giving these men that evening? That's the same hope and promise he gives for you and I. That he's gone, but he's busy. He's busy. He's busy preparing a place for you and I. And because, as he said, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That's the hope and the promise that's ours, church, as we understand that our Lord is coming again. Maranatha? Yeah, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. He could come any time and any day, and that'd be just fine. His hope or our hope is found in the promise that he makes and the truth of that promise. It's one thing for somebody to promise something that they cannot fulfill. It's another thing when somebody who has the authority and the power and the depth of love that Jesus Christ has when he promises, beloved, you know he's going to fulfill that promise. And we can stake that in the ground. We can take that to the bank. We can understand, man, that's what I'm holding on. In the midst of all the craziness that I see around me, the hope that we stand on is, yes, Jesus is coming, and he's coming to receive us again unto himself that where he is, there we might be also. Look down still in chapter 14, verse 27. This is something every one of us need. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I'd ask for a raise of hands of how many of you need peace in your lives, but uh, I think it would probably go all across the room. Maybe today you're in relative peace, maybe things seem to be pretty calm, but you know what, Monday's coming, okay, Monday's coming. And we need that peace. We, and, and the great thing about the peace of Jesus is it's a lasting peace. Amen. And it's a peace that's not based on the circumstances that we live in. Why? Because it's his peace. His peace that dwells in us. And when our world falls apart all underneath us and situations come and circumstances that surround us, that we can have peace even in the midst of the lion's den. We can have peace even in the midst of a fiery furnace. That we can have peace even in the midst of a flood or, or a raging fire. That we can have peace even in the midst of all that we see. Why? Because my trust and my hope, because my trust and my hope is not in the things of this world. Therefore, when things are bad, and beloved, I know things can get bad, when things are ripping our hearts out. Beloved, I know this world and the situations that surround us can rip our hearts out. But even in the midst of that, we can have peace in the knowledge. God, our Savior, loves us and He gives us His peace. Chapter 15, verse 5. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears... Fruit sometimes, much fruit, much fruit. I love what uh, Bernice Saunders, a saint who is now off with, off in glory with the Lord now. She used to tell me all the time, God's word says that we're supposed to be fruity. <laughs> we're supposed to be fruity. And I said, what are you talking about? He says we're supposed to bear much fruit. And that's the, that's the truth. When we are abiding in him and he in us, That's when we bear fruit within our lives. If we don't see the fruit of the Spirit again growing in our lives, if we don't see the fruit of our life touching people around us, if we don't see the fruit of our lives even being manifested uh, even um, um, within ourselves, Guess what? Maybe the problem is is I'm not really tied into that vine as tight as I need to be. Maybe I'm allowing myself to be separated. But he says, as you abide in me, I will abide in you, and you will bear much fruit, because without me, beloved, you're not going to be able to do anything. And too often in life, we try and do things in our own flesh. Amen? You need to move on. You're never going to get through with this message. Uh, chapter... Uh, Uh, Jump over to chapter 16, speaking of the promise of the comforter of the Holy Spirit that's coming. He tells them, he says, and when he, when the Holy Spirit has come, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to the Father and you see me no more, and of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Jesus' promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit was also to equip and empower you and I as believers. He's doing a work in this world, but he also does a work in those that love him, those that, again, have Christ in their life, the Holy Spirit abiding in our lives and equipping and empowering our life. Look down in verse 33, chapter 16. These things I've spoken to you that in me you might have peace, or you may have peace. In the world, you're gonna have tribulation. I love that. He doesn't soft-soap it. He doesn't say, hey, you know, if you come to Jesus, your life's gonna be wonderful. If you come to Jesus, your life's gonna be a rose garden. Oh, but by the way, yeah, there's a lot of thorns in that rose garden. There's a lot of weeds that are going to come up. He says, in this world, you're going to have a lot of tribulation. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Why is that good news to us? It's because he's the one that we're depending upon. I'm not depending upon my own strength. You can't depend upon your own strength to make it through the affairs and the situations of this world. You've got to depend upon his strength, the fact that he has gone before us, and now we wait and we trust in him. Then beginning in chapter 17 of John's gospel, Jesus begins praying to the Father. It says he lifts up his eyes to heaven. Look at chapter 17, verse 4. He prays to the Father, he says, I have glorified you on the earth, I have finished the work which you have given me to do, and now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus is saying, I have finished the work. He is, in that very declaration, he is making certain that we understand that his life was not taken from him. He had completed the work the Father had given to him, and now he is ready to go back to the Father. All these other events that are gonna happen over these next few hours already had been planned, already had been determined by that master plan of God. And tell me, are there some times that the plan of God working in your life you don't understand? Stuff that goes on, man, I just have no clue why I'm going through this, why we're going through this, why they're going through this, why we go through this. Yet at the same time, beloved, we need to understand God is working a much greater purpose out than you. I need to say that again because I didn't get any amens at all. (laughs) God is working a much greater purpose and plan out than you. You and I get to be the recipients of the blessing of God. but Beloved, you need to understand his plan is so much greater. That's why we don't understand it. Oh, his love for us is individual. It's one by one by one. We come to him. We are his child individually, but he is working a plan. Yes, it does include us, but it's much greater than us. And that's why we trust him even when we don't understand what's going on. Down in verse 9 of chapter 17, Jesus says, I pray for them, speaking of the disciples. I don't pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours and all mine are yours and yours are mine and I'm glorified in them. Doesn't mean that he doesn't love the world. What he's saying is right now, I am praying for these that do love me, these who are mine. He's prays for you and I as his children. The understanding is, is, yes, he died for the world in order that as many as receive him, to them they become the children of God. That's what his prayer is here. Down in verse 14, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because you're not, uh, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Now, that really bums me out, because I wish he would have prayed that he'd just take me out of the world. And when I came to him, I said, good, done deal, take me on to you. But that's not the plan and purpose of God. That's why it's much bigger than just me. And you and I are here, we're still sucking air, we're still taking up space, because God still has a purpose for us. And he left the disciples, he said, Matt, don't take them out of this world, but take the world out of them. Open our
1: hearts. Change us from within by the open word.
0: Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Open Word. David will continue teaching through the Gospel of Luke next time. Now, we want to encourage you to become a Facebook friend with us. Log on to TheOpenWord.com. You can also subscribe to The Open Word Podcast at TheOpenWord.com or search for The Open Word in the iTunes Store. If you're like most people, you probably use a smartphone. Once you subscribe to The Open Word Podcast, you'll always have solid Bible teaching available to you anywhere, anytime. So log on to theopenword.com and subscribe to The Open Word Podcast. Again, to become our Facebook friend and to access the archive of messages, log on to theopenword.com. Now here's Tracy with information about how you can help partner with us.
1: We all know it's vitally important to support the local church, the place we call home. But it's also very important to support missionaries. Have you ever considered that The Open Word is a missionary work? It is! We need your support as we share God's Word over the airwaves. Please prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word. Go to theopenword.com and click on the support option in the main menu.
0: We invite you to join us again for the next study as David shares insights with us from the Gospel of Luke. That's next time on The Open Word.